0: What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dr. Devin Walker, and I'm here with Javier Wallace, and we are Black with Blue Passports. This podcast explores the impact that international travel has on Black Americans' pursuit of liberty and racial justice. This podcast is sponsored by DDCE Global at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from the World Walker Foundation and Black Austin Tours. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Black with Blue Passports. I'm super excited. We got a dope guest today, Eric Prince. So the way I found this, brother, man, we was looking at, we was just looking around for influencers, like who are the Black influencers out there, man? And we came across Eric and his photography and all the stuff that you've been doing abroad. And then I'm like, man, this brother is a longhorn. This dude went to UT, Man, does what starts here truly change the world, Eric? That's
1: what it seems like, man. Oh, yeah, man. You know, it's funny how many longhorns I run into on the road, man. It's so many of us. Buckeyes and longhorns all around the world.
0: Oh, man, you're talking about Buckeye stuff. You You know I'm a badger. So every time. Oh, that, that.
1: Don't do that, man. You know, I grew up in Cleveland, so don't do that to me. <laughs> yeah, man. But it's great to have you here, man. And
0: can you just fill us in a little bit more? I know you was in the military as well. Can you just give us a little bit more of your story before we come on ahead and get started?
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the invite, man. Uh, it was the U Texas email that got me. Got me in. And the fact is, two brothers, man. I always, always got to come through and show love to both of those communities. Um, so I'm Eric Prince, founder of MinorityNomad.com, uh, Longhorn, uh, came out of Texas, uh, University of Texas 2010, um, after a 10 year career in the United States Air Force. Um, and I've been traveling, I've been on the road full time for about almost 10 years, give or take. Um, I call Bangkok home now. Uh, So whenever I get sick, I'm in Bangkok. Whenever I get tired, I'm in Bangkok. When I need a reset, I come back to Bangkok. So uh, Bangkok is my home. I'm not uh, necessarily nomadic anymore, uh, but I am still a minority nomad on the road. I specialize in uh, travel. Uh, I'm a travel photographer at my core, but I'm also a writer, videographer, um, a budding uh, YouTuber, influencer, as they call us, uh, digital nomad expert. Um, Recently, I just did a project with uh, PBS talking about the future of work and the digital nomadism. And um, I'm going out of my way to get as many brothers and sisters abroad as possible because I I truly believe that the the global future uh, is melanated.
0: Mm. Well, let's start there, man, because ultimately that's part of the goal of this podcast, right, is to share stories, share experiences in hopes that we can motivate the next generation to get abroad. So how do you go about motivating and helping to get Black folks abroad?
1: You know, just by showing, you know, I I think one of the biggest issues that we have, um, we've had historically in our community is usually when somebody, someone is speaking from a place of activism or philanthropy it tends to come off uh, very preachy uh or very judgmental and for me I'm not telling you how to travel I'm not telling you where to travel I'm just showing you how I travel and where I travel um and if you happen to move the way I move then you you can ride with me but um if you don't I can put you in in in, in place with somebody else uh somebody else's content that that might better suit you and and your interests and your taste and one of the things that happens is I get emails and DMs every single day from dozens and hundreds of people saying, hey, I'm going to Portugal. Where should I go? Or, hey, I'm coming to Bangkok. What should I eat? Or, I'm going to Jamaica. What should I do? And I'm like, yo, I don't I don't know you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know you. So uh, you got to give me a little more detail. And hopefully what I'm doing is and uh, a, a good uh, it's around 40 percent of my audiences is, is African-American, Canadian, American, British, uh, British black. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the, I want these communities to be better travelers. Right. I I don't think it's good enough for us to be good travelers because we already started a disadvantage given the uh, global white supremacy. We already start a little behind the eight ball when it comes to our the perspective of us as travelers. So I think we have to be great travelers. If you go to Dubai and you don't know anything. It's a problem when you come home. You need to be able to come back and tell a story about that community, about those people. You need to be able to take those opportunities that we have in Dominican Republic, in Cuba, in Chile, in Thailand, in Sri Lanka, in India to tell our story. What it's like to be African-American from Detroit, from Cleveland, from the Bronx, from Miami Beach. Like you need to be able to tell those stories because... What travel really is, especially for us people of color, it's a cultural exchange. It's figuring out what similarities we have and what difference we have, as well as how we can solve some of the similar problems that we have as humans. And for me, I think that's the core of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make as many African-Americans, Latinos, people of color, better travelers because we're kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to information, when it comes to travel information.
0: Okay, so what makes a great traveler for you is what you're saying: a storyteller, a connector, a communicator, somebody who's able to, to build across these uh, different cultural lines.
1: Yeah, well, not necessarily a storyteller because that that that's a gift. Um, I'm more so a a cultural relativist. You know, somebody who can look at another culture. Um, and not from a space of superiority and judgment, but from a space of understanding and education. I want to know why you cook this food this way. I wanna know why you all think this way. I wanna know why your religion is this way. Um, The other day, a week ago, I was in Phuket, Thailand and I went to their vegetarian festival, which is a Chinese ceremony they have in Phuket Island where they pierce uh, their, their cheeks with these long needles um they fluctuate themselves um they they put themselves in positions of torture so they can receive the sins of the community and bring good luck to their community we don't we have nothing like that in our culture we have nothing like that where people are physically harming themselves on purpose for the benefit of the community we have nothing like that so to be able to come here and experience that and talk to people and ask them why you feel so connected to your community to the point where you have to abuse yourself for their benefit. It opens your eyes and, and your mind to a different way of doing things, a different way of seeing things. So I think it comes down to really being open. A great traveler is somebody who's open to different cultures and open to learning about those cultures. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, first Eric, I gotta, I had to mute myself for a while because I I started to laugh, Um, laugh in relation to what you were saying about the DMs on the daily basis about what to do. I lived in Panama for about my dad Mm -hmm. is from Panama. I lived in Panama for about six years nonstop, and actually had a Afro Latino Afro Latinx travel there, Mm -hmm. and you know I was like the Panama person so yes. you, I would like randomly every day get these random requests about what to do what to see what to eat and mm-hmm. you know something like how do you respond because part of me is mm-hmm. like one do your own research but then it, 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 two is like read the posts that I've always been putting out mm-hmm. you'll probably find stuff there but then also I, I always force myself to think about like the, the, the Green Book, and then the, the, the need mm-hmm. sometimes, because most of the people who were contacting me were Black, um, African-American mostly, or Black North Americans, majority mm-hmm. of the time, was that need to find or know somebody who had similarities to them that could guide them in the way. So, you know, that would I, right. I, take me about three days or a week to like work through all that, to come back to that,
1: come back to I'm that. i the exact right. same, brother. I'm- you know what it it it, it's frustrating um because i still i've been at this almost a decade and i still have to check myself it's my first response was like yo this is basic shit like can i cuss? i don't know but like this is basic how can you not notice that oh what hotel should i stay in like how 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 was that like you why are you asking me that but because It took me years to realize I am an influence. I am an authority figure on this thing. And in our community, there's not that many. So I had to check that. I was like, they are doing their research by reaching out. They are looking for information by reaching out. So it's my job to provide that information, at least the minimal information, which is why uh, over the years I've started to shift. Uh, I love jazz, I love cigars, I love whiskey. Um, and just so happens a lot of other African-American men love these things as well. So if you reach out to me and ask me about those three subjects in pretty much any major city in Europe and Asia, I've got you. I've got that information for you. I know the blues clubs, the jazz scenes, I know the musicians, I know the baristas, I, did, I know the, 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 um, the, the wine experts. Like I know these people because it's what I do personally and if i can get that information in the hands of more brothers and sisters then so that's my burden to bear my uh, godfather and i'm the eldest of 10 children my godfather is a deacon in uh, phoenix city alabama and i he drove me crazy because i would get upset that i would get in trouble for my siblings misdoings and like why do i always get in trouble for what they did i had nothing to do with that And he would always tell me, he said, God gave you broad shoulders so you can carry the weight. And I think that's the burden that we have, is those of us who have had the opportunity. And, you know, I was one bad mistake away from prison. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just I just happened to make the right choice at the right time, because a lot of people grew up the same way. literally next door to me. They made a different choice at the same time. And they're in prison and I'm out here traveling the world. So I recognize that. Just because I made that choice, it put me in this position. You know, of course, I worked hard, I study, I, I train, you know, I, I do 16 hour days all the time, but it's the burden of our community. And when you compare what we're dealing with to what our ancestors had to deal with, bro, who can, like, we we have, we have no place to complain. We have no place to complain. We are literally in a position where our community is reaching out to us to ask where in the world they can go for a holiday and relax and, 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 and enjoy themselves. It's a great position to be in. And sometimes, you know, it gets frustrating, but it's the burden we bear.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man. it's uh. I know the first time I was so I had studied abroad in Cape Town, South Africa in 2007. Yeah, I love Cape Town. And when I was hiking up that mountain, man, I had set a goal. Like, when I got to the top of Lion 10, I was like, man, I got to help other Black and Brown kids experience this. It was just a, mm-hmm. it was a moment for me. So, fast forward seven years later, I'm TAing a trip for UT to South Africa. And it's the majority of Black students. We must have seen 40 and 50 Black students. And they knew I had been there before. So I kind of became like the program coordinator. Everybody started asking me a lot of questions. I had the most experience out of anybody on the trip in Cape Town, South Africa, including the professors. So but I had in all my travels, it was mostly just me. It was Dolo. You know, I might be in a study abroad program. So I wasn't used to having the weight of like bringing people along with me, especially like 40 people undergrads. So I remember the first day they were like we were about to go to campus so all the kids coming up to me one of them was like hey man well uh are they going to have food up there i'm like yeah it's a college campus they're going to have some food the other one was like hey man do, do they have water fountains because i didn't bring no money i don't want to i got a water bottle but i, I don't want to buy a new one i'm like i'm sure they have water fountains man and then another dude was like hey man in the library do you think they got uh outlets and i i remember when i got asked that question i lost it i'm like y'all like what y'all got to stop asking me these dumbass questions. Like they got the most basic stuff. Like everybody got yeah. stuff. But I went home that day and I was reflective. I'm like, man, like they're looking to you as the resource, yeah. right? They're looking to you for something that you actually have. Like, that's mm-hmm. why you're on this trip. That's why you're here. That's the goal. You set seven years ago, how dare you, when the opportunity gets in your face to actually lead and help people experience a country for the first time in a dope way, how dare you like Make them feel stupid for not knowing.
1: You snap, yeah, and we get out of pocket, man. And it's you know it's something that, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's a real struggle uh, because you, and, and especially when I see, and you know, I just I just started this by saying I don't tell people how to travel. I I, I hold us to a very high standard as 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 people of color, very high standard, uh, and and a fairly high standard. When i see folks going to jamaica constantly and stunting, or going down to mexico one of my good friends onika the traveler one of my closest friends uh she was in mexico a few months back um from a network love who's a plus uh black woman uh, plus size um travel expert they were in mexico and they video called me and they were at a like a club a white party uh, a bunch of sisters having a blast, having an absolute wonderful time, and I say I'm sitting here. I'm like, y'all went to Mexico. It looks like Atlanta, basically. It's it's basically you went there to do the exact same thing you do at home, and it was the same feeling. You know, uh, it, the next day I'm like, man, who am I to say anything? Mm-hmm. Like, who who am I to to judge how they're traveling, what what they're traveling for, what they're doing? Sure, would I want them to go to somewhere different? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And experience different. Do I believe that you have a more fulfilling experience when you're surrounded by locals? Yes. But who am mm-hmm. I to tell them how to travel? And that frustration is not only our frustration. Deb. like it's, it, it's, it's also our frustration with a system that's not giving our community this basic information. It's a system that prevented our community from traveling the world until the 1990s, 2000s, When we started to travel the world uh, in a leisure way as a large, Mm massive group, right? It wasn't until around the 2000s, around the bad—I call it the bad boy era, the the P.D.D. stunting yachts in Dubai era, right? That's when you started seeing more brothers and sisters who weren't in the military traveling abroad for leisure purposes. That's a long time. That's a massive gap historically when it comes to international leisure travel. So. We're not frustrated with our community. We're frustrated with the circumstances that we've been put in, and we're frustrated with the lack of information that we still have to this day.
2: Yeah, that's real. Uh,
1: man, I there's
2: so many questions that I want to like get into, especially off of that last, that last response you just gave, Eric. Um, and I'm gonna try to like see how I can like flow with it to see if I can get both of these because it you didn't become the resource overnight. I mean, I think that's that's that that's to be said, and I know a lot of it has to do with your photography, your writing, getting into this space. So I'm just kind of like wondering, and I'm going to ask multiple questions within this one question. Feel free to answer with King of
0: multiple questions,
2: (laughs) multiple truths, all at the same time. So we got to be able to do multiple things at once. Uh, But that's me. So how do you become the resource, get into travel writing, especially in the extremely white field that travel writing is, that's number one. But then also in case we don't have enough time, I just wanna get this out there because you mentioned it. Um, The bad boy era in the 1990s, but you also joined the military at a young age. And you also just mentioned that in many cases, historically, before we get to the bad boy age, that many African-Americans are moving around the world in service of the United States, in the military, and seeing the world that way and experiencing Mm -hmm. things differently. And I'm definitely shifted away from that first question I asked you, Mm -hmm. but feel free to answer either one of them because I think that's important because I think we have these narratives historically in the African-American community, particularly situated around black servicemen. And we we Mm -hmm. know there are more early men that were going to, Europe that were going to these other places in defense of the United States, seeing this different type of treatment outside of what was their reality, mostly in the Jim Crow South and coming back oh, yeah. and being a part of this advocacy for what they had experienced in these different places. So I don't okay. know if that even makes sense to start going in on that yeah. but yeah. military point. I'm like I got to bring that up, but I do want to. OK,
1: um, OK, so first question. Uh, all right. Re- re- yeah. uh, say that first question again. How did you become the resource getting the travel right? Okay, so I'm going to hit both of those points, right? So, uh, and I probably, I'm going to go put these both together for you, right? I'm going to Tarantino this for you, okay? So, when I first started uh, the Minority Nomad, it was an accident. So, I started a nonprofit foundation called A World Beyond Youth Exploration. Uh, 501c3, uh, we were connected to an organization called Fracture Atlas out of New York City, uh, basically a, an arts uh, philanthropy organization, which basically they become our, um, our organi- organizers. So they took care of our fundraising coming in, they took care of our documentation, stuff like that. Um, and the issue that I was having initially was Black people don't travel. And statistically speaking, it was true. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but it was something like 17% at the time of African-Americans had had passports. Um, This is around 2010-ish. My intention was to teach low-income kids two things that changed my life, was photography, and travel because I was studying government at UT. I major in government, history, and English there. Uh, So I basically lived in the six pack. Those six buildings were my home for for my time at UT. And I was working on a paper about the, uh, I wanna say it was the, uh, it was the treatment of African, it was the treatment of minority communities through government legislation. I can't remember exactly what the title, I, I can't remember the title, but it was basically me going into um, how uh, stuff like, uh, like um, Section 8, welfare, um, the selective service, how those things impacted minority communities within the government, how government legislation impacted us. And I started to see these same things cropped up. We're marginalized systemically, right? Consistently, right? And for me, I'm like, it's a rage against the machine kind of thing. I'm like, look, let's just change it. Let's give people more options. Photography and travel are the things that gave me the option. So I want to share that with these kids. Started the organization to do that very thing and we couldn't come up with funds because a lot of the pushback was that people did not believe that this was a viable program. It, it had no real worth beyond, oh, so you just want to take kids and let them travel? Or you just want to take kids and give them a camera? I'm like, no. The issue, one of the biggest issues within our community, reason these government programs keep keep being created and fell in our communities because A, they're they're being run by white people. So your white people who don't live in our community are telling us what we need in our community. B, those who are documenting our communities are white. You don't have black folks with cameras running around. And this is, I'm talking about the eighties and the nineties coming out of the crack epidemic. It wasn't brothers and sisters documenting what that was doing to our community. This was way before cell phones, way before Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff existed. And and you don't want to give us the resources to help our own community. So how about we do this? We give these kids cameras and let them document their truth and show that to the world. Not just show that to more Black people because we know. I don't need you to tell me how abused you are. Because I know, I'm with you. I'm sitting next to you. But let's get these kids to Germany. Let's get these kids to South Africa. Let's get these kids to Chile and show their art. So when they kept telling me no, I'm hard-headed. I'm like, to hell with you. I'll show you we travel. I'm going to show you what we can do. So I bought a one-way ticket to London. And I was gone. That's it. And I've been on the road ever since. And what happened was the organization just became, got to a point where we couldn't do it. It just wasn't something that I was able to pull off. It just was to me, a failure for me. Um, And, you know, to this day it's still one of my biggest embarrassments that I was not able to put this together Um, specifically the way now I've done different things with the organizational idea, but the specific organization, I was not able to make it a success However, what that did was, it showed me how important this is. It showed me how important it is to have people of color abroad who have this information and experience to share back with our community. To this day, there may be 10, not barely 10 of us, African-American full-time travel journalists. There are maybe 10 of us, 10 of us. I've got seven of them in my phone. It's not that many of us. And it's 2021 and we have a disproportionate uh, amount of spending in the travel space, but we aren't out here, right? So as I traveled the world, I've been to 95 countries now. And I would say the first 37, 38 was as a soldier. And I had a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. When you go abroad, you're treated as American first. As a soldier, instantly they know you're a soldier. When you go to Germany, when you go to Turkey, when you go to Korea, when you go to Japan, when you go to the Middle East, you are an American first. Period. That is how you're. That is how you're addressed. That is how you're seen. That's how you're treated. You are an American first, and not black. You're American, and it changed my perspective because in the U.S., I'm black first. I'm black all day, every day. Oh, you're a soldier. Congratulations. You're still a nigger. That's it. That's how it is in the US. But as soon as you get out of the US, you're seen as American. Isn't it crazy that you're more American abroad than you are in America? And that's what living abroad as a soldier showed me. I lived in, I was stationed in Germany, I was in Japan, I was in Korea, and I was all over the Middle East. And I traveled all around the world uh, on c 130s And I was always treated with love and respect. And the question is, man, is it, it, am I being treated this way because I'm American? Am I being treated this way because I'm a soldier? Am I treated this way because this is how it is abroad? So it took me leaving the military and then traveling as a civilian. Like, oh no, no, no. This is how the rest of the world actually is. The United States is the most racist place on the planet earth. Now that's not to say that other places don't have racism because that is absolutely not true. But the United States has a culture of racism. It's not, it, its foundation is built on it, the abuse of people of color, to this day, to this very day in 2021. And it's like, argue with me, please, somebody, please come and tell me I'm wrong about this. Please show me facts, show me numbers, show me information that shows, Eric, you're wrong. There is a place in the world where it's deadlier to be a black man outside of, you know, say African nations where it's uh, homogenous. It doesn't exist. France, Spain, Japan, Korea, Thailand, Cambodia, Chile, Argentina, I am safer than I am in the United States of America. So, you know, how did I become the authority, right? Or an authority. I came out with it intent. In the military, we always say move with intention. Everything you do has to be intentional. I came out with the intention of showing people, not even African-Americans, Latinos, we already know how what we can do. Showing people what we can do as a community. Those who doubt that we can travel the world and, and, and we can create this amazing, beautiful photography, wonderful stories, amazing videos. This is who we are. This is what we do. These stories you guys are telling these are our stories already. These stories of migration, of 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 culinary excellence, of hard work, drive, determination, this is our story. Go to go to southern Europe. Go to southern Spain, for example, and, and read about the Moors. Go to northern Africa. Go to Turkey. Go to all of the motherland and hear our stories. So, you know, for me, I'm literally just telling the stories that we've already had. I'm doing exactly what we've always done. When it comes to your second, the second point of your question, it was a revelation. Thank you, United States military. It was—I always say—the best decision I ever made was joining the military. The second best was leaving mm. because it opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to what the world is for us and the opportunities that we have out here. Because if you're stuck in Cleveland. If you're stuck in Chicago, if you're stuck, and I only say stuck because there are a lot of people within our communities who are literally stuck. They cannot get out. Yeah. This, that's the narrative that they don't want us to have. Like, no, people are systemically stuck in these places. Those members of our community who are stuck in these places, they don't have that global view because they've never seen it. And they've never heard somebody who speaks like Devin or Javi or me, like who speaks the language. Right? Who speaks the way that we speak, who move the way that we move. So when you don't have somebody who's presenting information in that way, how do you expect them to get it? How do you expect them to understand it? So yeah, man, um really it just came from our ancestors, man. Like both the, the answer to both of your questions comes down to our ancestors, the the, the people of color who traveled and colonized the world, who've conquered who've created amazing monuments of of technological achievements and beauty, who've built mosques, have stood the test of time, who've created culinary traditions that have been ripped off from people all around the world. The brothers and sisters who fought without recognition in every single American war, who came before us and said, yeah, we are great. We can provide and we can defend. That's real. That's real. sorry if
0: i got a little long-winded fellas no you did you got you got deep on us there I, I was i was stuck in the moment i i did have a question though and it i don't it came up earlier in your talk it you were talking about just being a bride you know you said you bought that one-way ticket to london and you've just been out just been abroad mm-hmm. and i know when i was living in korea um you know it's so homogenous out there it was mm-hmm. dope. It felt good. I definitely feel everything you're saying about being an American and the right. elevated privilege I had out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I felt above the law sometimes out there. Oh, yeah. Play the dumb American car when I would have issues with the cops and I knew oh. I would skate free. But you know, after a while of being in a country where everyone is Korean and you're constantly othered as different or something mm-hmm. else, and you can't go to these foods you like and you can't go find you know a, a, there are random other black people that you definitely mean traveling around but there's not huge communities of them so you mm-hmm. can't necessarily go into spaces and have that same like cultural feeling like mm-hmm. do you get tired man like do you ever get over this of just like being on the road being elsewhere being not where you from
1: nope nope the that, that's the tldr of it man 28 years 28 years around brothers and sisters Like, uh, I'm good. I love us. (laughs) I I, I know us. Here's the thing, man. Um, this is something that comes up a lot and brothers and sisters that come to here to Thailand, i link up with everybody. If you are black and you message me, you come to Bangkok, I'm going to meet up with you. Right. That's just how it is here. Right. For me, um, because I think it's so important. Right. Um, my thing is, I yo, I'm not going to move to Thailand expecting to build up a, a large black community. I'm like, I'm, I moved to Thailand to learn about Thai people and Thai culture and history. Uh, the same thing in Egypt. The same thing in Romania. The same thing in Turkey. Um, if I did, like, and, and, and I do, and it, like when I went to South Africa, my god, the stuff that I learned about being African, being black, being color. Yo, quick story. So. My girl South African, Black South African. So this is in the bedroom. And my first trip to South Africa, uh, I was on a press trip. It was myself uh, and 13 other tribal journalists from around the world. And they were all, none of them were Black. I was the only Black one there. And we go to South Africa, and I'm in Cape Town. And we went to this restaurant called Gold's. To this day, is one of my favorite restaurants in the world. Um, and it's run by a lady named Mama B absolute sweetheart. I've been friends with her for years since the first day we met. And I remember coming out. We had this amazing food. Gold's restaurant uh, in Cape Town, South Africa, is one of my favorite restaurants in the world. have amazing food and I come out and the driver is a Zulu brother. And I'm the first one out. And we had this rapport because we were like, it's me, him and a bunch of white people like on, know. on, so we had this natural rapport back and forth. Right. And we're talking with each other Oh brother, how do like the food. And I say, Oh man, I fucking, I loved it. I like bubble tea. That's amazing. He's like, Oh, you like bubble tea. I was like, I love bubble tea. It's one of my favorite foods now. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's that's a uh, color. That's for colors. I'm, what? He's like, yeah, yeah. That's that's color food. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? That's that's color. You know, they make it for color people. That's for colors. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, they made me some like they made me some special food just because I'm black. Like, what is this? So, I, like, I'm legit pissed off. I'm like, really, like, yo, like, what is this? They call me a colored. What is that about? And then, like, they came back, and my colleagues were like, who are South African journalists are like, no, colored is a group here, like, an ethnic group, and I'm like. Yo, why don't we learn this shit growing up? That's not something I never learned that growing up about South Africa. All you learned was Nelson Mandela is a superhero. I learned that a lot of South Africans, black South Africans, don't like Nelson Mandela.
0: Don't rack with him.
1: They thought he was a trick. I was like, mm-hmm. what? Gandhi was a racist. He felt that black people were below them. So they shouldn't be in jailed in the same environment. I was. This is all stuff that I had never been taught. And I, I, I like to consider myself an educated brother. So it was going in that environment, not just, not as a, not looking for uh, a black community, but looking to learn. That's what the difference was because it's easy to find a, a community where we're singing and where we dance dancing, where you're having food. Th- that we can find that anywhere, but, when you're learning about a different culture, be it black, be it Asian, be it um, European, be it whatever, when you move with that energy, you're welcome anywhere. And I never want, and one of the things that I've seen, this is controversial, one of the biggest issues that I've seen with a lot of our community is we're have we we're stuck in that mentality. We bring Atlanta to Thailand or we bring Southside Chicago to Korea or bring Cleveland to Germany. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You gotta leave that shit at home. Now I'm not saying don't be you, be you always. But there are certain things that you can and cannot do when you go abroad in somebody else's house, in somebody else's community. Now I love a lot of things about our community and I dislike a lot of things about our community. And when I'm abroad, I'm trying to immerse myself in that local community, in that local space. And when I'm in Atlanta, I wanna be immersed in that community, that space, that energy. But when I'm elsewhere, nah, it's, it's not what I'm looking for. Because it, it, to me, temporarily, yeah. In Bangkok, I can we can have a, easily put together a dinner of 30 to 40 black folk, easily, right? But that's so rare because we're all locals. We're all learning the language, learning the food, interacting with the local community. And I feel that at times it's disrespectful because people come and say, hey, I don't like it here because there aren't a lot of Black people. Like, But why are you here? Why do you expect that many Black people to be in a place where historically we have never been? You don't go to why would you go to China expecting a large group of African people that is, it's just not logical. I get where it's coming from. There is safety in numbers. And I think we've been taught that. I think, you know, from this question, I think part of it also comes from a uh, part of shows why so many African-Americans are afraid to travel is because we've been taught rightfully so we have to stick with our own. Because for so long, that was a survival technique that we needed. Even now, even now, it's like, yo, you don't belong in this neighborhood. How many times are Karens calling the police on brothers? Like, why are you in this neighborhood? What are you doing here? So when you grow up in that environment, yeah, I get it. But abroad, you, you don't like if you're coming at it from a safety perspective, you don't need it. You, you know, I it. think my question is still more from like.
0: Just feeling like a per- perpetual outsider, you know, like mm-hmm. after so traveling for so many different years in so many different countries. I haven't traveled as much as you. I've lived in probably about five, I've been about 30 something, but just, you know, always having to have that smile on my face, that big yeah. old smile, the openness, you know, not really understanding the language, not really understanding what's going on, kind of being this just perpetual traveler. And it's beautiful. And I loved it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't exchange my experiences for anything, any amount of money. But at the same time, there there's become over time this draw to get back. You know, I want to see my mom. Yeah. I want to see my brothers. Mm-hmm. I want to see my best friend's baby. I want to see my older brother's baby. And I also want to see what I can do in the States. And, you yeah. know, I had an issue. Me and my brother one time, we got into it. He was in Australia because my travels obviously led into my little brother traveling a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And he was talking so much stuff about racism in America. And he was in an Australia. And we eventually got into it. I'm like, well, what are you doing about that from Australia? Right? Yeah. Is it, is it, are we not using that privilege that we get by being American and, and the passport and leaving and going and living this privileged life elsewhere? Mm. How does that speak to the challenges that Black Americans are still facing Ooh, on this country?" I love race? this
1: question. Ooh, I love this point, man. Ooh, this is fun, man. For
0: me, that's that's always been like the the uh like when I'm traveling, like guys, yeah. uh, it, you know, it's a little
1: bit of both. Ain't nothing just purely amazing. Yeah, you know, I mean, are you you guys are familiar with James Baldwin's work, right? Yes, sir. Um, and one of the things he was saying, he was like, uh, it he, that was one of the first times he felt human was when mm-hmm. he lived in Paris, and he was free to be a gay black man, free. And he had reservations. I don't know if you guys watch uh, "I Am Not Your Negro," uh, mm-hmm. narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. It was absolutely fantastic um, reading and representation of his writing in his career and his life. Um, and it was, it was funny enough; it was actually uh, screened here, and the theater was full of Thai people. It was amazing to see. But it, he he battled that. He fought with that because he came. He was in Paris at a time during the civil rights movement, Megar Evers, uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. These are his close personal friends, you know, and colleagues. So how do you reconcile that, right? Now you have that privilege uh, to be you versus fighting the fight. Mm-hmm. The way, and, 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 you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm working on a script right now. Um, I wrote a piece years ago called How Travel Can Save Young Black Men. And it's still one of my most popular pieces. People reach out to me all the time about it. And my biggest point from that was it gives us this opportunity to figure out who we are, to truly, because our entire lives we're told who we are by our community, by our church, by our our education system, by our judicial system, we're consistently told who we are. When you're abroad, you can figure that out for yourself. You can decide who you wanna be and you can develop the skill set to make change, to truly make change. The way that I make change is to get as many of y'all out. Because in my opinion, we're lost. The United States is lost. It's a lost battle. It's it's a lost fight. Um, I'm very pessimistic when it comes to the United States because how many times do they have to tell us they don't give a fuck? Like when somebody shows you who they are, you got to believe them, right? The United States is racist. They don't care about us. They don't want us there. And this is just my perspective. So being able to thrive, not just live, but to thrive abroad as an African-American, it's amazing. We have that passport privilege. We have that power, that economic position, that cultural power, that pop culture ability. I'm Obama when I show up. My cousin is Serena Williams. As soon as you show up, you're the cool kid in school. So when you go and somebody tells you, You guys know how the apartheid ended in South Africa? International pressure. Hey, not from the U.S., though. Not from the U.S., but international pressure. So we have an opportunity. You say, okay, the United States, clearly, does not give a fuck. The United States government should have been brought before the Human Rights Tribunal a long time ago. A long time ago. If the United Nations had any boss, the United States would have been brought up on charges about the genocide of young black men in America that's it. But they're focused on Myanmar, they're focused on China, but the United States gets a free pass for the abuse that we've been dealing with for generations. Okay, how about we do this? We travel the world and we tell our story. We don't let the United States government tell tell what it's like to be Black in America. We tell everybody in Spain, in France, in Romania, in Thailand, in Cambodia, in Australia, in Chile, in Argentina. We tell the world, we show the world what it's like to be black in America from our own moms, from our own interactions. And we see, okay, now nah, the U.S. is not as great as you guys think it is. It's not as great as you guys think it is. And this is what's really, really happening. So for me, that's that's that balance. And I fully understand what you're saying. I have so many friends who live abroad. We met abroad and they went home. It was like, look, man, I got to get back to my friends, I got to get back to my family. I want to see my nieces and my nephews. I want to I want to find a sister Mary. Uh, a lot I it's 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 no right or wrong to it, but it is a constant tru- a struggle. So anybody who's watching this, who's thinking about coming abroad and who's conscious of what we deal with, Get ready for that struggle, because it is It's something you're going to have to deal with every single day, um, especially if you're still part of the discourse. If you're going to be part of the discourse about what's happening with black Americans, the 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 Trump card that everybody's got is, nigga, you ain't here. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, I'm not there, but I still get it. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. No, that's real. I think what brought me back, man. I was in Korea, man. I was having the time of my life in Korea, to be honest. I mean, oh yeah. The food was amazing. It, you know, you could get a bottle of soda. I was in
1: Busan. $1. I was stationed in Busan. I loved
0: it, man. Yeah. I mean, on the you could drink on the street, so you could go out and turn up for eight, eight dollars and be mm-hmm. good. Um, it was a very good lifestyle I had out there. And then I was I was FaceTime with my homeboy one time, and he showed me a picture, he zoomed in on a picture of him. Behind a podium with Michelle Obama. Mm. And I said, Oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that. I was like, that's my this is one of my best friends from growing up. We went to high school together. We started, you know, un, high school clubs together. Like, this is my guy, and he's out here ascending, making things yeah. happen. And for me, that's when I was, I, I that's I immediately applied to grad school and Really, I started the plan to come back after that. Um, but I have a I have a lot of my friends from Korea who are still out there who are loving it, who are just enjoying the life, and ultimately the freedom mm-hmm. to get back to the point, man. The, the freedom of just living elsewhere could be seductive, mm-hmm. man. And
1: um oh, it's a, it's privilege, you know. Um, I didn't understand white people until I moved abroad. Yeah, I really didn't get it. I didn't, you don't understand. How and I empathize like and and people get mad at me for saying this. I get it. I'm like, oh okay, this is what it's like to be a middle class white person. This is sexy. This is like I live in Bangkok, Thailand, right? Being a middle class man here is like being a hot blonde in the U.S. (laughs) Like it's effortless. Life is easy. There's no there's no issue. There's no problems here. We have no problems. Like I, I, have to create shit to be mad about here. I gotta make up stuff. Like uh, I gotta pay an extra twenty five cents for my dinner. Ah, fuck. like that's the worst thing that happens here. It's like the police stop you occasionally, but it's not because you're black. They're stopping everybody to try to get a payoff. Like it, and then to us, a payoff is a thousand baht, thirty dollars. Like it, it's. It's I cannot. If you have never lived abroad, you don't understand freedom. I'm sorry. Guys. I, I, I'm sorry to say that. If you never. Li- I think every person of color needs to live abroad at least one year somewhere, somewhere abroad, because you'll you'll quickly understand freedom of movement as well as the, the what it really is to be American. Like what really is because in the U.S. you're black, you're not American, you're black. But when you're abroad, you're American. And what that means, what that means. And you can kind of reconcile those two things. But freedom, whew, that is that is the word of the day.
2: Yeah, uh, I never, I know we got to get up out of here soon. I definitely wanted to jump in. Man, I got time. Um, Man, i gave y'all two hours of my calendar, brother. <laughs> we we got to make sure the people are going to stay tuned and listen to us now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm be I hope they will, too. Um, I think, you know, what we're talking about here really draws up a lot of interesting thoughts for me because my mother is... African-American, Black-American,
0: Texas.
2: We're we're about, we're at this point over about 200 years from time of enslavement Mm -hmm. when Texas was a part of Mexico have been trafficked into that space. Um, Mm -hmm. Historically tied to that one space um, with what is now within the United States of America. Um, and, And I'm saying that because I think when Devin and I were creating this podcast and came up with the name Black with Blue Passports, we were trying to be very intentional about that American piece and that particularly dark blue passport. And like, Mm -hmm. what is that being juxtaposed off of centuries of enslavement and not being a citizen of the country until legally, in a limited way, until 1868, in a limited way. Um, But then also my father is from the Republic of Panama in Central America. Ah,
1: Afro-Latino.
2: I don't claim that. Uh, at oh all? My
1: okay. I, 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 yeah, my father's from Puerto Rico. Yeah, my, and, and and dad, you, my father's
2: Puerto Rican. So. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm gonna go, and I'm going there. You say your father's Puerto Rican? Yeah, my father's from Puerto Rico. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going there, right? It, and I'm bringing that up intentionally because I, I didn't have this desire more so to let's say like escape the United States or see something beyond my borders. More so, I wanted to see beyond my borders, but I wanted to go to Panama, where my dad was from, and connect with that part. Of who I was. And I became a citizen of the Republic of Panama. And the one thing, like, like you talked about, the one thing that kept coming that was most salient in both of those experiences in Panama, being somebody of a citizen, a citizen there, of his of history there, not just have moved there, or visited, but of history there. What also became very salient in my experiences was I was black. Mm-hmm. And, and people treated me as that. In and, and, and many ways, I wasn't even afforded the privilege to lead with American because mm-hmm. of the historical context of Panama, right? Being a place mm-hmm. that has a very similar history to the United States, trafficking, African mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. enslavement, and then what, you know, that same situation. So yeah. it wasn't like, you know, let's say like Thailand or Korea where it's like y'all have to come, like y- y'all came. When y'all come, yeah. you know, yeah. Panama is like, okay. Uh, uh, tu negro. Like I have to literally open my mouth and, 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 and sometimes pull out my dark blue passport for, for to get that American treatment to be treated mm-hmm. like that superstar. Like you said, like that blonde white woman, but mm-hmm. I wasn't afforded that just by walking around and because mm-hmm. people were reading me as a Panamanian and to the point you're making about James Baldwin about feeling more of a human I would not change my Panaman experience for anything. But in Panama, I was reminded time and time again mm-hmm. that even in this space, that I was a black person and being treated as such. And because I think I had ties to the country both legally and historically, and we're seeing my literal people, my family members, just like I saw them in Austin, Texas, being at the bottom of every social structure and being horribly abused. And like you said, intentionally stuck in places. It Mm -hmm. it, it showed me why my dad could not remain in that place. Why he had to leave beyond his borders and why he had to migrate Mm -hmm. to the United States. And he did so unlawfully. Um, He walked across the U.S.-Mexico border and was relatively successful because people thought he was African-American. And, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, and that's the reality of it too. That's his migration story. They just thought he was a Black American, so they didn't question him at that time. Walking across the border, then later he's he's caught later and sent back to Panama. He comes back again, but I, I wanted to bring that up because. It, you know, in my lived experiences, being able to be both African American legally and historically for centuries, and then also being a Black Panamanian legally historically for centuries, and now being able to travel, it's like I feel like I'm stuck in this conundrum, right? I like mm-hmm. I feel what you're saying because I've seen it, I lived it, I experienced it as an African American, but then also
1: I was a local Negro, a Negro, oh, yeah. A Negro. Yeah. A Negro, yeah, you know. You know, it, it's, it's funny you see that. I, I always get in trouble when I tell people, "Yo, uh, we aren't the same. Stop stealing African trauma. Stop, stop. Like the diaspora is not the same. African Americans and Africans are not the same. Our experiences are not the same, and I find it disrespectful. So many African Americans constantly, they, they, they consistently steal African trauma. You come, you go to Europe." and you see the treatment of African-Americans versus Africans? Oh, have mercy. Come on, Asia? The treatment of African-Americans versus Africans? Continental Africans? Come on, man. Like it, To me, it's the most disrespectful thing. I'm like, yo, you have passport privilege flat out. You are seen as an American. You're not seen as Ghanaian or Nigerian or, 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 or South African you're American and you that, and, and people behave accordingly. There, there are Africans here in Thailand who are in immigration jail, like who are not allowed to leave the airport jail where you have to take food to them because they're not feeding them. Like this is, and, and just look at Europe, the migration issues in Southern Europe, in Spain and Italy, like you, you, you just, that's all you have to look at. So even though we do have that passport privilege, that freedom, you, you you better not be blind to the struggle of mm-hmm. African, continental Africans around the world. It's exactly what you, you're talking about. And, and they're not citizens, which makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, part
0: of what opened my eyes up, I think on my early travels was that man was realizing like there's so many other forms of oppression outside of anti-black racism in the united states Mm -hmm. there's so much else out there and when i started traveling and i started seeing it whether it was based on gender dynamics or sexuality or culture Mm -hmm. or ethnic tribe or religion or shit, you know being forced into the military whatever whatever these other issues were it allowed me to put into a better context the forms of oppression we have here in the United States and realize like, man, I'm actually not the only one. We're not the only well,
1: one who is oh navigating
0: safe trauma us. and tough situations. And that did a lot for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I think growing up in this country and just realizing your know, people are on the, the, the bottom and you don't know anything else really about the, rest yeah. of the, rest of the world. The only thing you learn is through the white lens about the rest of the mm-hmm. world. You're like, man, like this is tough out here. But you know, I think when I started traveling and realizing, man, there's all these other forms of oppression, it just <laughs> helped me put at into context what I was experiencing and realizing yeah. like, although it is oppressive and traumatic, and there's a lot. It, can be it, it th- could be worse. There's, there's other things out there that there's are. Tough, to like, it. You know what I'm saying? And um yeah. it made me realize, well, what opportunities are here? Yeah. What things yeah. can I take advantage of in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. other places? They don't have these opportunities. So when I came yeah. back, man, I was a lot more open minded to actually taking advantage of the privileges that I actually do have here in this country that before yeah. being black and that being my most salient identity in this country, it was almost like a, that ain't for me. That, that ain't what we do. Right. Yeah. That's for them. But when yep. I came back, I'm like, nah, because we're I taught
1: that we're, we're taught that. Uh, like that—that—that's—that's that's intentional, right? That—that's intentional. Um, you—you—you you, you brought up grad school, for example. Education is a great example. Um, it's a system. We have one of the one like the access to education for us. If you compare it to other Black folk, my God, we're so far ahead when it comes to ad- access to higher education, higher forms of education. Um, I mean, how much do you really have to pay for school. Of course, I know a lot of people are, are deeply in debt, but grants, Pell Grants, oh, my God. Like, the, the community college access, like, you shouldn't be going oh, a to thousand a 1,000
0: colleges in this country, man.
1: I'm like, bro, why are you going to a state school for the first two years? Go to, AC, go, go to ACC. Yo, ACC is a, yeah, I'm shouting out ACC, y'all. Go ahead, ACC, on the map. Y'all know how much money <laughs> ACC, say? Like, you better go to ACC for two years <laughs> and then transfer to UT. Or HT, you know, like it's it, 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 it's 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 you know when you and, and man, it's it's difficult, and I'm I'm gonna bring up this point. What start when I started traveling the world? When I went to Haiti, I was still in the military. When I went to Haiti after the earthquake, uh, we went for earthquake relief out of um out of Dias Air Force Base in uh, in Texas, Abilene, Texas. When you see Haiti for the first time. Not just Haiti, Haiti after a fucking earthquake. When you see Haiti after earthquake, bro, you better not say nothing to me about being broke. You better not say nothing to me for at least six months about being broke in America until you go to Haiti and you see what people, our people who look like us, have to deal with and who are really stuck. They don't get, yo, they don't get bad boy records. They don't have they don't have iPhone thirteens. They don't have Pell grants. They barely have shoes, and these are some of the kindest, most welcoming people you've ever met. And they they are out in the streets robbing each other, killing each other, you know, running each other down. Like like it, it's it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. I'm I'm the exact opposite on that point, Deb, because the more I see those other forms of abuse and oppression and poverty, the more frustrated I get with our community at home. Even though I understand why a lot of our, a lot of the issues in our community exist. And it's, it's something that I still struggle with today mm-hmm. because when you're immersed in it, when I, I live in the high rides in the middle of Bangkok, I look down on the slums on all sides of my building. I can see the slums. I can literally show it to you right now where people were dying in the streets of COVID. And to see black folks talking about they don't want to take the vaccine because they don't trust white people. But they're going to McDonald's every day. They're using these iPhone 13s that are are powered by resources from African slave mines, But they don't trust the white man. To get a vaccine, and I'm watching people who would kill for the vaccine die. Not, not, bro. I'm not. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't me exaggerating. We see people dying in the streets from COVID nineteen here. You can Google it. And 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 I get frustrated with us because I know how great we can be. I know the opportunities we have. I know the privilege that we have, bro. I travel the world and talk shit and get paid for it because I'm a Black American man. Of course, I work hard and I'm talented. But at the very core, it's because I stand out in the crowd. Myself, Onika the Traveler, Gloria Autonomo, uh, Mr. Levy, it's Ernest White III, um, Greg Gross. Like, that's, we stand out in these crowds. We're not saying anything disproportionately different than our white colleagues. But because of the color of our skin and our nationalities, we stand out. So t- to me, we have so many opportunities to change the world and we don't use those, which is why so many immigrants from Panama, like like your father, people from Nigeria, people from Cuba, people from Central and Eastern Europe, they come to the United States and they thrive because they come from these communities, these places around the world of extreme poverty, extreme pain, extreme abuse, and they go to the United States, where to them, it's like, this ain't bad. This is an upgrade. And I'm going to do whatever I can to ensure that the next generation of my bloodline does not have to deal with that same shit that I had to deal with. And that's what I'm trying to do. It just so happens my way is the exact opposite of theirs, is to get as many brothers and sisters out of there and over here.
0: I appreciate what you're saying, man. I think we could dig into that last comment because probably I could I have some responses to that last oh comment. Yeah, moment, oh yeah. But um yo, know, we've been on for a cool hour and I gotta take my daughter to school in about good old five minutes, man. Ooh, um, yeah. But yep, Eric, yep. man, it's 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 been great to have you. Uh yeah. yep. you, you almost sound like a philosophizer. <laughs> <laughs> Philosopher. I said philosophizer, that's just how I've been saying the word for my whole life. Um so man, we we appreciate you being okay. on, being authentic, being transparent, man. Um, it's been a, this has been a great time, great last hour. Yeah.
1: So much fun, man. I'm glad I'm glad to be connected with you, brothers, man. Next time I come home to Austin, we definitely gotta link up in person and and and, and grab a bite and 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 hammer hammer through these things, you know, because you know, uh, us three, there not a lot of us that have this experience. And and, and especially uh, on a platform like yours, it's so important. It's so damn important to have you guys doing what you're doing. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy you guys reached out. And I look forward to seeing where you guys go from here.
0: Yeah, man. That's a must. Yeah. We will definitely catch up. We never, uh, one never thing I'll say up. before I pass the hobby is earlier we were having this conversation about like, who is the resource to, when you know what I'm saying, when Black people are traveling and despite all these places, like the hunger we interviewed her on here, I'm sure you're probably familiar with her. Her name is Char Winter. She started the uh, Expat app.
1: Mm -hmm. um so that's
0: what she's trying to develop through that app um so for the listeners y'all check that out that's another resource despite where in the world you're traveling you kind of go in there and find somebody who has some familiarity with where you've been Mm -hmm. um but yeah man with that i pass it back to hop close this out man
2: uh i really don't have any more departing words except really appreciate you dr prince for all of the things that you shared with us today i definitely share what you said with Devin is we have to continue this conversation. So I know mm-hmm. I'm looking forward today that you, whenever you come back from Bangkok and enter mm-hmm. into Austin, Texas, what where where home is for you in the United States, if that is not mm-hmm. too much to add, that yeah. we do pick up. Um, and continue, but I'm so grateful to have you. You definitely bring a perspective that I don't think we've had yet on this show, on yeah. this podcast, which is going to be great because that's what we're doing is trying to really highlight different voices and show the young people, particularly who are listening to us, is that there are many different ways of being mm-hmm. in the world and being where you're from and getting out. So definitely appreciate you for all you've done and all your amazing experiences in life and being able to share that with the world. And like you mentioned. I know you said your useless embarrassment not being able to get that program off the ground when you tried, But I really want to go out on a limb and say that you are moving in ways that that program might have limited you to back in that day to do what you're Mm -hmm. doing now. So I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing and who and who knows. And I mean, you're working on great things. So I know that program one day will be off the ground and will be more impactful than probably you were even thinking about back in the gap when you were trying to get it off. And so I appreciate you and looking forward to see what you drop in the future.
1: Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it, man. Um, Actually, uh, it looks like uh, I was invited to speak in Memphis uh, in April. Um, and I, I accepted that invitation. So uh, whenever I come to the States, I always make a stop in uh, Austin. Got to check on my condo down there, man. So uh, definitely probably going to be seeing you guys April, April, May time frame. And definitely look forward to having this conversation in person, man. Because, oh, you know, it, 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 it's where.
0: If you come, man, we'll, we'll um, you know, if you want us to do something at UT, you know, have some sort of speaking engagement. I mean, we can definitely organize yeah, that as it. well, man. And then the next time we link up, man, we're going to have to do one of the East Coast rapper podcast we just have a
1: bottle in the table <laughs> oh <laughs> oh I'll, oh don't, don't don't start man don't, don't get me we'll see where the conversation goes from there <laughs> absolutely man thank you guys so much man this is this is a, a blessing something i needed man for sure man like you know we talked about community man but it's conversations like this that, that really remind us who we are how powerful we are man thank you guys for having us yeah. right. All right.
0: All All our listeners, Eric Prince, the minority nomad. Check him out. Check out his writing. Check out his photography. It's beautiful. Um, I was checking out some of your stuff yesterday, man. Great work that you do. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that was almost unsaid in this, man. If you have a skill, folks, you got to develop that skill, Mm because if you are passionate about your skill and you do it well, you can take that skill around the world and do whatever you want. Um, Oh, yeah. And that was very evident, obviously, from listening to your story. At least that was underneath your story. Um, so thank you for your time, man. And we'll we'll catch you on the next one, brother. Catch you in Austin. Awesome- Absolutely.
1: Thank you guys so much, y'all. Y'all take care, man.
2: Thank y'all for checking out another episode of Black with Blue Passwords with Javier Wallace and Dr. Devin Walker. Make sure y'all follow us and check us out on social media at DBC Global, World Walker Foundation, Black Austin Tours. Afro Latino Travel and keep this conversation going. Hey, be safe y'all and we'll see y'all next time.